you have your Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to 1 Kings chapter 11? And as you're doing that, how many parents do we have here tonight in the palace? How many parents? Raise your hand. Parents. Okay. Hands down. How many grandparents do we have here tonight? Raise your hand. All right. Another good number. Just out of curiosity, how many great-grandparents are greater than we have here tonight? All right. Okay. Very good. Thank you for being so brave to raise your hand. I didn't know you could be a great-grandmother and be age 39, as some of you are. (laughs) Well, I told you earlier that we all want to give to our children and grandchildren the best things of life. We want them to be well-fed. We want them to be well-dressed, we want them to be well-sheltered, we want them to be educated, we want them to uh, have all the opportunities that are available to people to become all that they can be in our world. But there's one thing, there is one thing that overrides everything else. If we as parents and grandparents and great-grandparents want to give to something to our children and grandchildren, there is one thing that overrides everything else. And we're going to talk about that tonight in 1 Kings chapter 11. But before we do that, I want to share something with you. As a father, I had the privilege of having three sons. No daughters. Three boys, no girls. But as a grandfather, I have two granddaughters. Now, I had a conference with the other granddaddies about those two granddaughters. I, had a, I spoke to Mark Workman. We had a conversation about Alyssa, age five. And we came up with a plan for her. And then Dee and I got together. And we had a conversation, and we mapped out a plan for Addie, age one. And it had to do with dating. (laughs) And we came up with some guidelines. And we've got to give these to Jamie and Amanda and, and Jason and Katie. Might as well give them now. You don't mind? This is the guidelines for the dating of our granddaughters. Number one, they will not date. They will not date until they finish their education. And that is a double doctorate degree. (laughs) Secondly, when the boy comes to their house, he will come to the door for her. If he honks the horn in the driveway, Nobody's coming out. (laughs) Thirdly, the boy will dress properly and modestly. If he comes to pick up our granddaughter with his britches busting the sag, (laughs) we granddaddies will pin him up with an electric nail gun.
When the boy comes to pick up our granddaughters, no small talk is necessary. All he needs to say is, yes, sir, no, sir, and I'll have her home early. If he makes our granddaughter cry, we'll make him cry. With bumps and bruises and some bodily bloodletting. He will keep his eyes on her neck up and his hands in his pockets. And yes, they are free to go out dating. Certainly they're free to go to our house, the police station, and the church. The boy will tell the truth at all times when asked. When he brings her home, he will be talked to a little bit. And if he tries to mess with us, thinking that we're old-timers and don't know what's going on, well, we will change his mind with a shotgun and a shovel and five acres of woodland in the back. (laughs) And lastly, before they ever go out the first time, I think it's only fair that the young man know that we all served in the military and we have flashbacks occasionally from the war. (laughs) Maybe an Agent Orange thing. And when we get up, we start, get upset, we start shooting and stabbing and throwing hand grenades. So don't get us upset. (laughs) That's pretty good, isn't it, Dee? I thought that was good guidelines for Addie. Well, seriously, I think all of us want to protect the children and grandchildren that God has given us. But that's really not the way to do it. What I want to talk to you tonight, very briefly, it's not a long message, is the best thing we can do to protect our children in this life and in the life to come. 1 Kings chapter 10. I'm not going to read that chapter to you. Most of our reading will be in chapter 11, so you heard correctly. But in 1 Kings chapter 10, we see the first thing I want you to think about tonight, and that is Solomon. Solomon was the son of David, and Solomon was blessed of God. In 1 Kings chapter 10, among other places, we read just how blessed Solomon was. Do you know he was the king who presided over the largest amount of land that Israel has ever possessed? This empire called Israel never was any further, never was any greater in its expansion than under King Solomon. King Solomon was a wealthy man. He was a billionaire by today's money standards. And the Bible says that each and every year, listen to this, each and every year of his reign, he was offered by other nations 50,000 pounds of gold. That's besides his other wealth. 50,000 pounds of gold brought to him every year to add to his bank account. 
as tribute from other nations. He commanded a great army. He built a great palace which he would reside in. He built the majestic temple of God. He was wise in so many ways. God gave him wisdom. He was a walking encyclopedia of things of his day. And God did something for Solomon he never did for any other king. When God wanted to speak to Solomon, he never went through a prophet. He spoke to Solomon directly himself. He had a hotline to God, and God had a hotline to him. Solomon had it all. Do you understand that? He had it all. He was the total package. God had blessed him above and beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine for him. But something happened. In verses 1 through 4 of 1 Kings 11, let's read what happened. But, that's making a transition from 1 Kings 10 to 1 Kings 11. It's a transition of contrast. In 1 Kings 10, Solomon is blessed of God. In 1 Kings 11, he turns away from God. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughters of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites and Ammonites and Edomites and Zidians and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come into you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. But Solomon would not listen. He loved these women anyway. Verse 3, and he had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines. And every one of those wives turned his heart away from God. Verse 4, when it came to pass when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God as was the heart of David, his father. Somewhere along the journey of life and faith, Solomon became prideful and arrogant. He made a decision that God's word didn't apply to him. God had said to the Israelites, you were not to marry from outside your profile, your kinship. That was a rule from God to prevent idolatry from coming in. But Solomon said, listen, I'm the king. I'm wise. I'm wealthy. Look what I've done. Look what I have. Look who I am. I don't have to listen to God. I get a pass. I get an exemption. I get an exclusion. I'm an exception. And so he defied God in arrogance and he married many women. And he took those women that he married and not only embraced them, but he embraced their gods. 
the pagan gods that they worshipped. He did that in arrogance. In foolishness, he began to not only embrace those gods, but he began to worship them. And then in wickedness, he began not only to embrace those gods, not only to worship those gods, but he began to build temples for those gods. He took God's people's money and built temples to idols. And then he allowed sacrifice to take place in those temples. God was upset. In verse 11, notice it says, Wherefore the Lord has said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of you, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely rend the kingdom from you, and I will give it to thy servant. God said, Solomon, because of what you have done, I am going to take everything I gave you from you. I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you. I'm going to remove you as king, and I'm going to give it to someone else. Solomon was blessed of God. But then Solomon turned from God, pursued idolatry. But this is where I want you to listen carefully, because we're almost through. I told you it was short. Solomon received the grace and mercy of God. Look at verses 12 and 13. Notwithstanding, interesting transitional word. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake. Think about that. But I will rend it out of the hand of your son. How a bit? I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to your son. And the reason I will do that is for David, my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Now I want you to listen carefully, because what I'm going to say is very important if you're a parent or a grandparent. Solomon has acted arrogantly, foolishly, and wickedly toward God. God has said to him, because of what you have done, I am going to take away your kingship, I'm going to take away your kingdom, I'm going to take it from you, I'm going to take it from your children, I'm going to take it from your grandchildren, and I'm going to give it to servants. That's what God said. And then all of a sudden, God, apparently it looks like, has had a change of mind and heart. And God begins to bestow grace and mercy on Solomon. Now, why did God have a change of mind and heart, if you want to call it that? Well, it says twice, for David's sake. 
for David's sake. Because of David, I'm not going to bring chastisement. I'm not going to bring punishment. I'm not going to bring judgment on you as I should and could. I'm going to be gracious to you. I'm going to be merciful to you, even though you have been arrogant, foolish, and wicked. Now, I want you to listen as we're going to go through a progression of thought. Of all the sins in the Bible, there is one sin that carries with it a generational curse. There's one. In Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are given to us, we're given the one sin that angers God so much and upsets God so much that it not only will bring judgment to the one who commits it, but to first, second, and even third generations that will follow. Listen to Exodus 20, verses 2 through 6. I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that it is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve these idols. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. And I will visit this iniquity, this sin of the fathers upon the children, unto the third and even fourth generation of them that practice it. But then, look at verse 6 and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Solomon's great sin was idolatry. Arrogantly, foolishly, wickedly, he chose to embrace the gods of his wives that he should have never married. He chose to worship them. He chose to build houses of worship for them. He chose to make sacrifices to them. He angered God. And God said to him, I'm going to bring a curse against you, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. But God chose grace and mercy too. He chose it for David's sake. Because notice in verse 6, I want you to pay attention in Exodus 20, verse 6. It says, God says, this is what I'm going to do. And then almost as an afterthought, you might say, God says, but I will show mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. God said, Solomon, you deserve my wrath. And not just you, but every generation that follows you up to the fourth generation. But I'm not going to give you my chastisement. I'm not going to give you my punishment. I'm not going to give you my wrath as I should and you deserve. I'm going to instead bestow grace and mercy on you. 
I'm going to let you keep the kingdom, though you, you should have it taken from you. And I'm not going to take everything from your children and grandchildren when you die. I'm going to allow them to have one tribe of the twelve. Rehoboam will have one tribe. I'll give the rest away to somebody else. And Solomon, the reason I'm doing that is not because you deserve it. I'm doing this because of David. David walked with me. Your father walked with me. He worshipped me. No, he wasn't perfect, but he loved me with all of his mind, heart, soul, and strength. And when he fell, he asked me to forgive him, and he kept on walking. For your father's sake, I am going to be easy. Ladies and gentlemen, pay attention now and listen. The greatest gift parents and grandparents can give their children and grandchildren is a mom and daddy and a grandma and a granddaddy that walks with God, that worships Jesus, that loves the Lord with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength. We respect Him, we're obedient to Him. Because God will honor our children and our grandchildren for us. It's called an umbrella of faith. Though our children may deserve His wrath, though our grandchildren may deserve His judgment, God looks back at, at a parent or a grandparent and says, because of you, I'm going to bestow grace and mercy here. I'm going to minimize the consequences here because of you. Wow. The greatest gift we can give is our faith in Jesus. Because if we have lived for Jesus and we've walked with the Lord and we've worshipped Him, we might be dead and gone, but God will say, because of your sake, I will not bring judgment against your son. I will give him a chance to repent. I will not bring judgment against your daughter. I'll give her a space to repent. I will not bring judgment on those grandchildren. I will give them grace and mercy. I'll give them yet another opportunity. I'll do it, not because they deserve it, but I'll do it for you. What a God we serve. God who's willing to take the curse and lift it. Because we've chose to love Him and walk with Him and worship. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Parents, do you see how critical this is? Grandparents, do you see how critical this is?
There might come a day when our children and our grandchildren will walk away from God. We pray not. We model them. We teach them. But we all know that sometimes things are beyond our control. And our sons and our daughters and our grandsons and granddaughters might choose one day to become idolaters. To arrogantly, foolishly, wickedly walk away from God. And when they do that, the judgment of God should be upon them. But may it be because of us. Our faith. God will say, though they're doing wrong, I will give them time. Though they're doing wrong, I will give them, treat them with patience and long-suffering. Though they're doing wrong, I will lessen the consequences. Not because I approve of what they're doing, I don't. But I'll do it because of that parent or grandparent that loved me prayed for them and walked with me and worshipped me all the day of his or her life. Parents and grandparents, can we do that for our children? Grandchildren? Can we? Can we?